Welcome to our 65th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your hosts, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. 65 episodes. 65. Man, time flies when you're having oh, man. fun, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's just been an incredible ride so far, and hopefully here's to 65 more. No, no doubt, no doubt. We have enough tanks to talk about. Oh, wow, yeah. And we've got a weird one talking we today. We do, we do. Um, this, uh, episode, uh, our first key point is going to be the Soviet Union's Object 704 that they nicknamed the Beast Killer. Now, the 704 was a tank destroyer, right? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, yep. we're going to get into it. One of the other things I wanted to touch on before we jumped on this episode, uh, you finally got us a click, clickless mouse? Yes, I found a silent mouse. I've been getting, you know, messages from our viewers and stuff like that. And they'll send them in and they'll say, um, do you guys know how loud that click oh, is? Oh, I know it is. It's, it's loud and I apologize, but hopefully it'll be fixed now. And it's, it was a bear to try to edit those clicks out. So I tried to solve it this way. Well, we have a bunch of stuff to cover. Like we said, the object 704, we're also going to talk about the, uh, Soviet tanker oath. Back in World War Two. Back in World War Two. I've actually had to reread that three I times. No, it's and sent it to a bunch of my friends yeah. that are, you know, uh, tank enthusiasts. Yeah. And they're like, You're kidding, right? <laughs> and I said, No, we'll get to it. Yeah. And then we're gonna cover uh what was we started last episode about the new we were gonna do Yeah, the, tanks in the news. Tanks um, in the news. And we found an interesting article from last week actually that we're gonna Talk about mm -hmm. something interesting in the U.S. military that they're coming up with. Um, we do consider ourselves, you know, keyboard historians or, or tank historians. You got to keep up on what's happening now yeah. because it's history. Happening. Oh, it is. It is. It's like I say, it, all this come out in the news a week ago and it's history already. So, Well, we keep getting uh, uh, messages and stuff. We'll talk more about it at the end of the show. Uh, about our uh, new president, uh, oh yeah, Joe Biden, Joe Sleepy Joe, <laughs> Sleepy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> most, most of my friends call him Sniffy. Right? Yeah, well, that too. Yeah. No, but uh, did you see that where he fell down the Air Force One? Steps? That's what I. That's what I heard about in the news the other day. I didn't see it. I didn't go back and look at it. But Speaking of that, isn't he having his first uh, physical? No, he's having his first uh, news conference today. They've been making a big deal out of that. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll see have to how go that, back and watch that later on. So when we'll this, see how that recording goes. Here. But uh, um, <laughs> I guess uh, North Korea fired a couple of missiles. I, yeah, I've seen so, that in the news. Yep. We're going to try to keep up to date on that. Yeah. I got off track. So let's jump back on track. So today we are talking about the Object 704. And it's a very unknown tank in many uh, tank historian circles. Because only one was completed, and this prototype is now preserved in the, how do you say that? Kubinka. Kubinka Tank Museum. And that's over in the for former Soviet yes, Union. Yes, yes. So, Russ, tell us a little bit about the Object 704. The Object 704 is a self-propelled gun with a 
prototype tank utilizing elements from both the IS-2 and the IS-3 tanks. Now, see, when, do you remember when we did the best tank on the Eastern Front? Yeah, yeah. It was the IS-2. The IS-2, yeah. If you uh, want to know, you know, our old picks of what was the best tank on the Western Front, what yeah. was the best tank on the Eastern Front, I, I don't know if we did the best tank for the Pacific Theater. I don't recall. I'll have to go back and I, check that, I, check I, on that. I, um, I think we did. I think yeah. it was on the uh, Flamethrower Stu- Stewarts. Oh, yeah. Whether they yeah. call them dragons or something. Yeah. We'll just have to check yeah. that out. Uh, I got off track again. Oh, well, my man, my yeah. mind's all over. It's easy to do. The SU-152 and ISU-152 were and still are well known for their massive guns and impressive claimed capabilities against German tanks such as the Tiger and the Panther. That is how they got their nickname, Zverobuy, meaning the Beast Killer. However, that was more related to propaganda than their actual usefulness as tank destroyers. Their massive 152mm guns, while very effective if they hit the right targets, were rather inaccurate at long range, slow to aim and to reload. And these tank destroyers were also limited in and traversed by their mounting in a superstructure. These guns were not well suited for a tank destroyer. The SU-152 and ISU-152 were not, in fact, tank destroyers, but assault guns, uh, and they were meant to help Soviet attacks break down enemy defenses and strong points. Okay. And we've done this before in past episodes before somebody jumps on. They're like, oh, no, no, they're technically assault guns. Yes, but they got mixed in with the tank destroyers. Yeah. So if you hear us use terminology tank destroyer, yes, we know it's an assault gun. Yeah. I'm sorry, Russ, go ahead. Yet for assault guns, their protection was more often than not quite lacking. With the start of production of the Kirovets 1, the Object 703, or better known as the IS-3, the opportunity arose to improve the Beast Killers, now focusing on protection. This vehicle was to become the Object 704, or Kirovets-2. It is also called the ISU-152 model, 1945, in some Russian literature. However, it is likely that the Object 704 was never referred to as such in the short life it had and could be a modern name, possibly invented at Kabinka, according to Russian historian Yuri Pajalok. If you haven't followed Yuri, I mean, most of his stuff is in Russian and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. but Yuri's a great guy and very knowledgeable. And if, if he's saying, listen, it was called the ISU-152 model 1945, believe that, Uh you know, because, you know. Yeah. He's found this in literature somewhere. He's a historian and he researches this stuff. And and we know, if you've listened to the podcast, that, you know, time changes uh, names of tanks. Like the Sherman uh, was uh, called the Bronson Burner. And we've proved yeah. That Bronson didn't have that lights every time campaign mm-hmm. or advertisement till way after the war. Yeah. So it was probably, in, in our professional opinion, called the ISU uh, one or 1945. Yeah. Now, see, that's interesting, Russ. Tell us a little bit more about the, its development. Due to the problems of the ISU 152, 
proposals came as early as 1944 from the main directorate of armed forces to the SKB-2 plant to upgrade the vehicle. However, during that time frame, very little materialized. Then work started on a new IS tank, the Kirovets-1 or the IS-3. Just a little history. Yeah. I love the IS-3. I know. Yeah, it is. You know, I, good. I, I have people come up and, and they'll... If you're new to the tank community, everybody has their fr- favorite tanks. Yeah. You know, Craig, uh, Craig Moore's got it. Uh, Ed, uh, Ed's got his. Yeah. Uh, all these guys have different tanks that they're like, these are the tanks I like. I like the IS-3. always have. And people are like, oh, it was junk. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's cool. There were also plans to modernize the gun on the ISU-152 as well. In 1943, the artillery section stated that the 152.4 millimeter ML-20S howitzer was not suited for use on a self-propelled gun. The issues on the ML-20 naturally reflected on the battle performance of the ISU-152. An example was the TSA-KB slotted muzzle brake kicking up a lot of dust and almost blinding the gunner after firing, and more importantly, revealing the vehicle's position. That's never a good thing. And that's why we've talked about muzzle brakes where it's supposed to kick it out to the sides. The artillery section put out a series of requirements for the modernization of the weapon. Firstly, this included the removal of the muzzle brake, changes to the breech, and improvements to the recoil system. The OKB-172 was assigned to develop the upgrade by January 13th in 1944. The new gun was to be named the ML-20SM, the M standing for modernized. Blueprints were ready by the 1st of March of the same year, and by the 10th of March, the prototype was built in factory number 172. The very next day, firing trials were undertaken, but after the 33rd shot, testing was halted due to poor operation of the new breach. You know, I hate to get off on this tangent again, but can you imagine the poor guy has to load that and unload it and kick all that? Oh, yeah. And by the... 33rd shot, he's kind of looking back at everybody going, uh, and they're like, okay, stop. Something's wrong. Testing actually continued into May, the gun firing a total of about 249 rounds, out of which 196 were high explosive charges. The average rate of fire over the entire testing period was an impressive 2.9 rounds per minute. Factory testing of this gun continued through September 1944. Due to the high rate of fire and no muzzle brake, it was decided on 2nd of October to mount the gun inside an ISU-152. The gun was shipped off to Chelyabinsk, but when it arrived in the middle of October 1944, it was unfinished. At the end of 1944, the artillery section stated that the gun needed urgent work and that that factory number 172 workers would be sent to Chelyabinsk. This only happened by mid-February 1945 when the battlefield was different and the IS-3 was approaching mass production, making the ISU-152 chassis archaic. They're in the full swing on this IS-3 now. They're like, okay, we need to change up the 152. Yeah. It, it was getting too old for what it was needed. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. It was taking too long to work out the kinks with the gun. Right. And then they kind of fell behind and... I mean, they're basically yeah. getting a field artillery howitzer. 
yeah, and sticking it on 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 this little frame. Man. And you remember the movie, The White Tiger? Sure, yeah. And, and they did their you know assault gun thing and fired a bunch of shells where this white tiger was supposed to be. And just looking at them, you could see them rolling back. Yeah. And, and that had to be oh, hard no. on everything. Oh, wow. The IS-3 is in mass production and kind of changes the future of the ISU-152. Well, Russ, give us a little bit more information on the design of this beast killer. The design of the Caravettes Dash 2 was unique, having little resemblance to previous Soviet heavy SPGs or self-propelled guns. It still had a frontal-mounted casemate where the turret and pike nose of the IS-3 used to be. And due to the aim to improve the armor protection to the same level as the IS-3, the armor plates were thickened and angled throughout the casemate. On the ISU-152, the gun mantlet was a large frontal weak spot, yet on the Object 704, it was the thickest part of the tank. Interesting to add is that the bottom of the side casemate angled inwards a lot more than it appears to. The almost flat triangle shaped part of the side superstructure is actually just a thin sheet of metal. Okay, I can see where that's a problem. Oh yeah. Although the IS-3 chassis was used, there were still some changes made. Namely, the engine plate was different and the exhaust pipe layout was the same as on the Object 701. It is unclear if this was done to save pieces for the production of the IS-3 or it was intentionally designed as such. An additional small construction detail is the use of several track types satisfactory for a prototype built in a short period of time. There were 86 tracks per side. Each track was 650 millimeters wide and they were connected by a single pin. The engine was the same V-2 IS engine producing 520 horsepower and the running gear and transmission were kept the same. The transmission was a multi-disc dry friction clutch. The gearbox was a 4 plus 1 dual stage high-low manual transmission for a total of 8 gears forward and 2 in reverse. And we always joke about, you know, different reverse gears. Well, low reverse is if they're trying to get some traction or something. And uh, the second reverse is like... Uh, Give we me need, the we crap need, out of here. Yeah, yeah, we need to back up. Yeah, the brakes were still the planetary rotation mechanisms. Okay, Russ, I know how the Soviets loved putting big-ass guns on, you know, frames of tanks. They've done that all through yeah. their, their history. Well, they started off with a T-34, and it had, what, a 52 or something, or 50, yeah, I think it was 50-something, 57, and then... It jumped up to the 75 or 76. I can't remember. And, and then all of a sudden the T-34-85 came out with the 85. Yeah. So they're always putting bigger oh, guns, yeah. but mm-hmm. using the same tank. Yeah. And then you get to the IS-2. Mm-hmm. That's got a big old gun on it. Yep. So <laughs> they start out with the SU-85, you know, with mm-hmm. the little 85 millimeter. Well, I am sh- I shouldn't say start off. They had SU-76s yeah. and stuff like that. Or 75s. Then it's the SU-100, and then all of a sudden, boom, ISU-152, and it's got a huge howitzer on it. Man. That's just the way they like to do things. And Soviets like their big guns, and the Germans like their big giant tanks. Well, since we're- Broke down a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, we're gonna get oh, we're gonna I get know, mail on that one. I know that's all right. Uh, tell us a little bit more of the guns on this thing. The modernized ML-20 SM lacked a muzzle brake, which improved the visibility and kicked up less dust after firing. However, the recoil grew considerably, namely by 900 millimeters. So a recoil brake was added. The gun had plus 18 degrees of gun elevation and a shockingly poor negative 1.45 degrees of gun depression. I can understand the elevation, you know, because they're wanting to lob shells, you know, and use it as an assault gun. The reason it had poor gun depression, you're going to either have good elevation and bad depression on most Yeah, yeah. The horizontal traverse was not much better at a very limited total of just 11 degrees, which ended up being about 5.5 degrees on each side. So it can't go down, and he can't move side to side very Man. good. The new gun fired the same two-part HE high explosives, weighing about 43.56 kilograms, or 96 pounds apiece, and armor-piercing ammunition, weighing 48.78 kilograms, or 107 pounds. 107. Wow. You know what? I, I don't think I could load that. Oh, man. I'd have to do a lot more working out than what I've done in my life, probably. To, and it probably wouldn't take you long to get, get in shape by if you had to do a lot of lifting of that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'll agree. Man. And the ammunition also had very similar ballistics to the standard ML-20S. The HE rounds had a muzzle velocity of 655 meters per second. While well, the AP had about 600 meters per second velocity, the gun could hit a 2.5 to 3 meter tall target reliably from 800 to 1,000 meters, which comes out to about 874 to 1,000 yards. Joking, that, oh, joking about yeah, that. That's, that's quite a distance. But we've just talked about the shell. Yeah. And to be able to send it at least that far and I'm, hit 3 meters. It's, a, it's crazy. That's... Yeah. I mean, back then, during that time period, yeah, that's... Whatever it hits, it's going to destroy. Yeah. But it had a direct fire range of 3.8 kilometers, or 2.36 miles, an indirect fire range of about 13 kilometers, or 8 miles. That's insane. It is. That is just insane. That, that That's yeah. elevating the gun all the way and oh, popping it. Oh, man. When conducting indirect firing, the Hertz panoramic scope was taken out through the gunner's hatch, the practical rate of fire is contradicting and ranges from one to a bit under three rounds a minute. A quick reload was not necessary for such a self-propelled gun, especially considering the terrible ammunition count inside the Caravettes-2. They had just 20, or 19 according to the trial report, although the extra round could be loaded to be 19 plus one rounds. Uh, these were placed on both sidewalls of the fighting compartment. And the charges were placed on the right wall and underneath the breech. So it was a two-part yeah. shell. Uh, oh, okay. Like like you said. Uh, what kind of secondary armament did this thing have? The vehicle was equipped with two 12.7-millimeter DSHK heavy machine guns, one coaxially mounted and one on the roof with 300 spare rounds of ammunition inside. There was a chute. For the ammunition belt to slide over the main gun and into the machine gun. Well, you, you know, they learned that they need these machine guns. Yeah. And, and let's face it, it doesn't reload quick. It doesn't have a lot of gun depression if they're getting charged. 
You're going to need some machine oh, guns. Oh, yeah, very true. The roof-mounted DSHK was for anti-aircraft use and was mounted on a rotating ring over the loader's hatch. The ring could swivel over and next to the hatch, the machine gun itself could also pivot on its mount. A K-10T sight was mounted on the gun for easier aiming against aircraft. For the defense of the five crew members, they were equipped with PPSH or PPS submachine guns. Some F-1 grenades could also be mounted on the sidewall between the commander and the breach operator. They're giving the guys, you know, submachine guns, and and they're giving them some grenades. They're like, listen, if you're on the field and you're out of your shots, you you know, you fired your 20 rounds, and and you're getting charged and you're out of machine, you know what, here... Here's your guns. There you go. How you many? How many? Backup plan at least, yeah. How many times did a tank crew have to rely oh, yeah. or bail out? Yeah, and still get into the uh, fight. Sure. But again, I'm jumping off track. That's a, some serious firepower. But Russ, you mentioned the crew. Uh, tell me more about the crew and the crew compartment in this beast. The Object 704 had a crew of five, which consisted of the driver, a commander, a gunner, a loader, and a breach operator. They could communicate with each other with a TPU-4F intercom, having a headset and a microphone. This was essential as the crew sat quite far away from each other, and communication was key in coordinating aiming and directions. Every crew member had his own entry and exit hatch on the roof of the vehicle. And we proved that's that's, that's important. Well, like... We've talked about in the past, some signals to tankers, to oh, the driver, yeah, was yeah. kicking him in the shoulder. Oh, yeah, yeah, back in the old F- FT. And, and no offense, uh, if me, you're down there and somebody's kicking us in the back, yeah. you know, after a while, we're going to go, you know what, I, I think it's time. get that submachine gun barrel <laughs> in their face the next time they kick me too hard. Yep. The driver was located higher up in the hole than in the ISU-152 by about 600 to 700 millimeters. Consequently, he did not have his own hatch in the front plate. Instead, his vision relied on the single, movable MK-4 periscope in his hatch on the roof. As could be anticipated by such an arrangement, this was not enough, giving the driver rather poor vision when he was buttoned up. He was, however, also able to open the hatch and stick his head out in non-lethal environments. <laughs> yeah, in non-lethal environments. Uh, in non-lethal. I'm still saying uh, if you're if you're the driver and you're cooking down the road and somebody snipes you in the face, that's a bad way to go, dude. Uh, yeah. Plus, oh. the the tank is going full speed yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's gonna wipe out. To control the tank, he had two mechanical tillers. To his right was the gear shift and the shift for the high-low gear ranges. But on a good note, the driver no longer sat next to a large fuel tank, like on the ISU-152, which was good for morale. (laughs) We're going to talk about morale. Uh, This is the Soviet version of morale. Oh, look what we did for you, Ivan. No more gas tanks sitting on Oh, man. Because if you get there, you're going to burn to death. Oh. Can you imagine that? Oh, wrong. man. Hey, uh, we're going to take off the gas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll move well, the gas It's like when we were cops you. and we found out the gas tanks were exploding when they got hit in the back. Yeah, yeah. And what they do? They just put little pieces of rubber on and said that, that that's well, right. like the new Ford Explorer. Well, here when they first come out with them, they was having problems with the carbon monoxide leaking. 
<laughs> from the exhaust and making these officers sick. So you know how they fix that? Ours today still has carbon monoxide detectors underneath the front seat that they stuck in there just to... The gunner sat behind and to the right of the driver on a seat attached directly to the gun. There he had the elevation control hand crank as well as the trigger, his Hertz panoramic sight, and the 2.5 times magnification TSH-17 sights. This sight was adequate for firing up to 1,500 meters or 0.93 miles. As previously mentioned, for indirect firing, the gunner's hatch had to be opened and the sight raised through it. Both sights were illuminated for conducting nocturnal firing, and directly under the breech block was a four-mounted escape hatch for a total of six hatches. They put the gunner's seat on top of the gun. Can you imagine that, that big gun between oh. your legs? Everybody's like, all oh, right, you know, the big gun between uh, your legs. Until it fires. Oh, man. I yeah. mean, that, that's got to send ripples straight up your yeah. You know, spine up into your skull. Mm. Okay, yeah, I would totally do oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'd do it once, at least. The commander was on the opposite side of the driver, also having just one MK-4 periscope for external vision. Commander was also responsible for the radio, which was placed right in front of him on the frontal armor plate. Okay, yeah, the commander's got an armor plate in front of him, and the driver has a gas tank on yeah. him. I want to be the commander oh, today. Oh, man. The commander was also responsible for the coaxial machine gun, most likely having to fire it as well. Uh, yet the traverse of the main gun was controlled by the breech operator and elevation by the gunner. So aiming would have been a coordination challenge. Yeah, and that's what goes back to the intercoms, you know. Oh, yeah. They're, they're wearing the headsets and stuff like that. Number one, that thing's got to be super loud. Oh, wow. For them, they have to coordinate. Sure. One false. Did you say fire? Oh. <laughs> Screw you, buddy. You better not. <laughs> Handling the massive shells was done by the loader. The shells were stacked on the side walls, and he was also assigned operation of the anti-aircraft machine gun on top of his hatch. Uh, to aid him in loading, he had a loading tray, which was attached to the gun. A round would be rested on it until it was ready to load again. There were 12 rounds on the wall next to him, while the other seven were on the other side by the breech operator. And we were saying that was 107 pounds on the AP oh, rounds. Oh, yeah. Again, if you don't know what AP, it's armor piercing. Yeah. And HE is high explosive. Yeah. We promise. We it is coming. It is coming. We're working on an episode about the ammunition. Yes. It's my fault. I've been really busy here lately to do the research I need to do and... And your department got oh, hit with man. COVID a couple times. Oh, yeah. And believe it or not, nobody wants to be police officers around here anymore. So. Nobody wants to be a cop it's anywhere, hard man. To, it's hard to hire enough to keep enough help. So if you're looking for a job, ah, please Parsons, <laughs> Parsons, Kansas Police Department is always hiring. <laughs> and, and Pittsburgh Police Department's always yes. hiring. Well, about every department uh, is they hiring. They are. They are. Perhaps the most curious crew member position is the breach operator. It's important to note that the breech design was quite ancient and could not open automatically. The breech operator would open the breech while the loader was manhandling the rounds into the gun. Then he would close it and he could assist the loader with the charge amounts as well. So this loader's got to be lifting everything, putting it on the tray. Breech loader will help him yeah. guide the shell in. And then he's got to go around and grab 
the charge descended. Better men than I am. Uh, you got that right. Uh, boy, that'd be a job and a half. While testing reports were quite satisfied with the positions of the crew, a few issues were actually brought up. The angled sidewalls made storage of ammunition very complex, and accessing them was very cumbersome, let alone moving them out and into the gun, considering their weight. Probably not a vehicle that you could load on the move. Yeah. You know, if you're going around rough terrain and bouncing mm-hmm. around, I, I don't want you handling... Wow. Live explo- rounds. Uh, well, skip the rounds. The charges. The yeah. charges yeah. would be even yeah. worse. To boost morale, and here we go with the morale again, and improve living conditions, two fans were placed behind the gun to ventilate and remove toxic fumes, <laughs> as well as a couple of dome lights. All right, I'm going to comment. I'm going to comment on this. This is really funny to us. I love the way the Soviets think of boosting crew morale. Here, we like you. Uh, we will give you two fans to exhaust the deadly gas that could kill you. Well, thank you so much. You're putting in two fans so I don't yeah. die while I drive firing this thing. Wow, what nice guys. And, and two dome lights so you can see and not drop an explosive shell oh, on one of your charges or something like that. That's nice. It's very uh, nice of them. You know, I mean, if you do drop a you know explosive charge, it'll vaporize you. But uh, but seriously, yeah, what the hell? Oh, I know. You know, that's that's morale. <laughs> you know, when we sent the M4 Shermans to the Soviets in the Lend-Lease, they came, and this is with four Tommy guns and C rations were packed all the way around the turret. And a lot of these guys didn't know what they were until they were driving the tank and they just got curious and pulled it out. And the old C rations had, or K rations, um, had cigarettes and candy and actual, you know, like spam and everything. Can you imagine the guy getting sentenced to this tank and he's like, okay, okay. And he looks at the Tommy gun. And he goes, "Oh, these are the same guns that the Stalin's bodyguards yeah, wear." Yeah. And, and then they're sitting around bored, you know, eating their bread and water or whatever. And they open a box, and boom! There's American <laughs> cigarettes and chocolate and food and spam. Man, they hit it. They were like, "Woohoo!" Yeah, heck yeah. The same crew comes out and they're like, hey, what'd you get in your thing? You know, what, what'd you get in your vehicle? I, I got two dome lights. And they're like, congratulations. Yeah. You're, that's a morale booster there, buddy. Uh, seriously, uh, I'm just shaking my head. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're just having a little fun here. We're, we're just having a little fun. <laughs> at, at no point are we making fun nah. of the actual crews. I mean, these guys were brave. Oh, heck yeah. And they believed they were fighting yeah. for their free or their motherland yeah what type of engine uh push this monster the engine was a v-2-is outputting 520 horsepower an st-700 electrical motor outputting 15 horsepower was used for starting the main engine in cold winters two compressed air cylinders were used to start the engine and these were located by the driver's feet there was also a heater used to heat the engine in cold winters but also the fighting compartment uh, another, morale another morale booster. booster. There you go. Uh, all right. We found out some of our guys are freezing to death in these steel uh, boxes. Well, let's give them some heat. Yeah, a little bit. I'm sure it wasn't enough, but it was probably better than nothing. Yeah, you know what? And, and to be honest with you, 
if you really look at it, they were probably using the heater on the breach because, you know, after a while that would freeze up. There you go. (laughs) See, now you're nice and warm. You got two dome lights and a couple of fans. What morale. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. A total of three fuel tanks were inside the vehicle, two in the fighting compartment, and one in the engine bay for a total of 540 liters or 143 gallons. I'm I'm not oh, I'm not going to comment. Man, putting gasoline tanks in where there's actual fighting, oh, uh, I can't comment. I go know. go ahead. Two external fuel tanks of 90 liters each were on the engine deck. And these were not connected to the fuel system and were meant to be dismounted when entering battle. Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> okay, so they have two barrels. I always wondered about how those worked, whether they kept them on during their battles or... Uh, they couldn't. Uh, yeah. You know, I've seen I've seen it, even the oh, yeah. uh, mouse tank yeah. that we have saw in uh-huh. some pictures. It had a huge one yeah. in the back. yeah. But, you know, the deal was, is they dismounted before battle. Mm-hmm. My question is, what if you're going down the road and get ambushed? Oh, hold up, guys. Hold mm-hmm. up. You're, you're, you're firing tracer rounds yeah. at, at my gas tank. Well, hold up just a sec. Let's be fair. <laughs> let, let me just load this and we'll move up the road a bit. Oh, and Which one's going to volunteer to get the crap out and ditch them? <laughs> not, not this doggy. <laughs> Then again, I may volunteer to get the hell out <laughs> if they're shooting into my gas tanks on the you know what? outside of the tank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or you're the driver and it's uh, right next to you. And yeah. Like, oh, I'll jump out. The engine allowed the tank to reach a top speed of 37 to 40 kilometers per hour or 23 to 25 miles per hour. The fuel range was around 180 kilometers or 112 miles. We've got the guns. We've got the engine. But let's. what about the armor? Protection was one of the main focuses of the Object 704 project. All armored plates were welded with heavy sloping all around the casemate. The front plate was 120 millimeters thick. The lower plate was 100 millimeter angled at negative 55 degrees. The mantlet had two layers of rounded 100 millimeter cast armor. And the side was 90 millimeters angled at 15 degrees from the side. And even the rear casemate armor was 80 millimeters at 21 degrees. The tank was immune from the front to the 88 millimeter pack 43L-71 gun of the Tiger II, which it never got to fight. Uh, Despite this thick armor, the vehicle still had an acceptable weight of 47.3 tons. Or 52 U.S. tons. Okay, so from the front... It's immune to the Tiger II. Now, it never fought the Tiger II or brought that design into thinking. They're going to face these big German tanks. eventually. So when they shot at this thing, it wasn't going through. Okay, I'm impressed. Uh, Immune to Tiger II's 88. So I know they tested this prototype. What did the test actually show? I mean, they've got the prototype built. They got the gun finally. And they take it out in the field and they're going to field test it. What happened? The SPG was finished by mid-June of 1945. It was sent to Moscow Factory Number 37 from where it was taken to the state proving grounds at Kabinka. Originally, testers noted that the fighting compartment was cramped, but later changes to praises for the commander and driver stations and their placement. The People's Commissariat of Armaments 
asked to move the Object 704 to the Leningrad Artillery Research Experimental Range to test the gun and artillery capabilities. Despite this, the vehicle was still sitting in Kabinka. A test program letter for the ML-20SM was also sent in July 1945. It was only in August when tests were approved, but only began by September because factory number 172 engineers did not arrive at the testing grounds. By the 13th of November, Kuznetsov and chief designer Nazarov finally arrived from plant number 172. Testing was done from October until the 13th of November, through which 65 shots were fired for indirect fire and 244 shots for direct fire. And coming with the conclusion and the fate, of the Object 704. The Object 704 had clear advantages over the ISU-152. These included the lack of a muzzle brake, improved protection, and the position of driver and the commander. The issues that were found could and most likely would have been addressed if it would have entered production. The tank's entry into service was hindered by bureaucracy and failure to get it to testing. The loss of time meant that the IS-4 was nearing serial production making the IS-3 and an SPG based on it obsolete. With hindsight, the story of the IS-4 is arguably even worse. Another heavy self-propelled gun would not be built until the Object 268, based on the T-10, which had a similar fate to the Object 704. They're missing the time that it was needed. If this had been at the beginning of the war. Oh, yeah. It, it would have been, been amazing. Yeah, and it a whole different had, story, had, yeah. Would have changed a lot of the battle strategy. It would have been really interesting to see it in combat on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. You know, the same thing. We were talking about the Object Two Six Eight, another tank destroyer assault gun SPG. Again, production and testing politics. Oh yeah, gets involved and slows it way down. You know, and it just stops it. So with the huge. Change in technology, and like we talked about, uh, the politics, it kind of killed the object. Wow, good stuff, Russell. I guess that brings us to our second point for today's episode, and that's about the Soviet tankers' oath in World War II. Russ, why don't you give us a a little uh, rundown on what the oath is? Yeah, we'll run through that real quick and then talk about it a little bit. Kind of interesting. I was doing some research the other day and come across this and thought, well be kind of neat to talk about. The tanker's oath that I found in my research is actually this oath, a socialist obligation of soldiers, commanders, and political workers of the 1st Tank Battalion and the 100th Tank Brigade. The oath goes as the following, to the People's Commissar of Tank Production, Comrade V.A. Majalev, we the soldiers, commanders, and political workers take on the following obligations based on the directions given to us by you when you visited our battalion to take care of our vehicles with love, strike the fascists without mercy, and fight for the guards' brigade. We swear to carry out Comrade Stalin's order number 100 with honor. We will study our weapons to perfection, master the art of war, strike the fascist invaders until their annihilation, We will fight such that every crew is granted the high government honor of the order of the patriotic war. We will always keep our menacing tanks in full fighting order. In maintaining our expensive vehicles, we swear to keep the engine running for 200 hours before medium repairs. Each T-34 crew swears to destroy at least five German tanks on the front lines. 
of the Patriotic War and to receive a T-34 tank as a gift from you for every five German tanks destroyed. We swear to mercilessly defeat the fascist beasts in battle, to destroy their vehicles, to fight for the Guards Brigade, and to honorably execute Comrade Stalin's order to defeat the German fascists in 1942. Death to German Occupants This obligation was unanimously approved at the meeting of the 1st Tank Battalion, 100th Brigade on June 9th of 1942. Before I start laughing and stuff, at no point am I trying to disrespect these tankers. We, We know that the Soviet tankers didn't have a lot of lifespan, especially... You know, with their losses, sure. their losses were staggering. Oh, yeah. yeah and, we're. And, and we're not making run of this. But the, the, the key thing I wanted to touch this is I am sure that it was unanimously <laughs> approved. Because if you weren't or you didn't agree with it or like, oh, no, I'm not yeah. going to do that. You were shot or sent to a human wave attack brigade. Yeah. Yep. Nothing builds morale like a threat of a bullet into the back of your head and, an, and a dome light. And a dome light. <laughs> you know. And, and they got to say, oh, Yankee equipment from Lend Lease is junk. Please don't punish me by putting me in an M4 or, or a Lee. Uh, and not that there is free cigarettes, food, heaters, submachine guns, <laughs> you know. So now you know why Soviets charge with the T 34s because they would be shot. If they didn't stick to their oath, you know, this is great stuff for us. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. I never it, really it, run it, into it anything really like is. that before. And to uh, dig through the history yeah, and, and find to see this their oath. viewpoint and, and see during that time period. Yeah. That was... and, and people say, well, what do you mean they'd be shot? Oh, well, yeah. if you read the oath, it says they're political officer. The political officers were there because, you know, Stalin said, not one inch. Yeah. No, no retreat. So if you went out, in, unless some general ordered you back, you were out in front. I, I'd still take my M4 Sherman with a 17-pounder uh, or 76-pounder on the Western Front. I know. That's why them Germans didn't want to go on the Eastern Front. You want you want some really good information? What's that? Uh, don't ever invade Russia. Yeah, that's probably some good information. Uh, I mean, if you think about it. Yeah. Just uh, Napoleon. Yeah. Bad idea. I know. Hitler, really bad idea. Just don't, don't. You know. Same way with the Chinese. I don't think I'd ever want to invade China. And and we shouldn't. Oh, yeah. You know. No. If we, I still believe in my heart that we need to get rid of past Cold War bias. I, I, you know, maybe even on the verge of racism. Yeah. If you can sit down and make somebody's life better. They're less likely to shoot you in the face. That's it. You know, the Chinese, uh, you remember all the students that we had, you know, at the college. And all these Chinese were amazingly nice. Mm -hmm. And and people say, well, you know, the Chinese government was spying. Well, we spied. Well, sure. We we were spying on Germany, you know. And why would we spy on Germany today? Yeah. You know, or even Israel or something. You know, oh, it's because know. we all do it. I Everybody know. spies. So so don't go trying to take the high ground. Oh, they were spying <laughs> on us. Please. Please. I'm sure the CIA is not spying on anybody. I'm sure they're just, you know, just hanging out and just making sure everything's happy. 
But to go back to the story, yeah, we're spying. Yeah. And, and so are they. Sure. You know, and people say, well, Putin's, you know, made himself a, you know, king of Russia and stuff like that. You know, you know what? Sit down and talk to these guys. If you guys can't do it, send me and Russ. I bet we sit down and have a good time with Putin, go look oh, at yeah. tanks and everything, yeah. you know, and say, okay, how can we make your lives a little bit better? You know, how can we get you to ease up a little bit? They're like, well, you know, all the missiles that you have pointed at us in NATO, you know, in the NATO <laughs> countries. Okay. You got a point, <laughs> you know, well, they're pointing missiles at us. How about we do this? Why don't we pull the missiles out of our, you know, our missiles, U.S. missiles. Oh, yeah. Let's pull those nuclear missiles out. Just pull them out. We, we don't need them because if there was, our subs would just, well, sure. you yeah, know, yeah. it'd yeah. be bad. So we don't need them. Yeah. So you go over and shake the man's hand and say, you know what? I'm going to be first. You know, I'll take him out. Move him out. You know, what else do you need? Well, you know, you guys are in Afghanistan and you're out of, you know, in Iraq We've been in Afghanistan, what, over 20 years now? Oh, yeah. It's time. Usually, yeah. It's time to get out of there. Yeah. I There is nothing in there worth one no. ounce of yeah. our troops. I love our troops. And they're over there, and people say, well, you don't support the war. No, I don't support the war. What are you, high? Not an oil war. Uh, I'm no. telling you, because that's all that's been over. And, and Afghanistan has zero to. oil. Yeah. So pull... Our boys out. Yeah. Everybody says you're against the war. Absolutely. But I'm for our troops. Oh, yeah. These are guys that I know. These are relatives. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to move there. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get on this kick on everything. But, yeah, I'll hug and, you know, for 20 years or 25 years as law enforcement, I defended these guys out on the streets from minor crimes and stuff like that. Yeah. And we treated them with respect. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't shed one ounce yeah. of blood for some other country. Yeah. So back out, yeah. you know. Well, well they, they'd invade. <laughs> no. Russia already invaded Afghanistan. <laughs> they were like, no, we, 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 we really don't want to do that. I don't think Russia fared too well with that uh, ordeal. Uh, yeah. So move out. Yeah. Well, then the terrorists would go everywhere. You know what? Take I, care of that I, of our, at our borders, and I don't think you'd have yeah, a I keep, issue. Keep, you know, tighten our borders, you know, security. Yeah. But uh, um, here's a wild idea. Let China. Let China go after the yeah, terrorists. Yeah, there you go. You know, you know the Chinese interest in uh, Africa is getting really big. Yeah. And we've uh, sent more troops to Kenya and stuff like that. Again, the Chinese are going over there starting businesses and trying to do stuff like we are. I don't think we have a problem with it. So if they want to be in Africa, go ahead. You know, if they're invited and the African nations are over there, well, we don't want them to fall underneath communist control. You know what? It's not none of our business, man. If the, yeah. if the people get behind it and vote for it, you know, I, I, know. I don't know. I We're getting political. Uh, and I'm yeah. sorry I got off on a tangent. <laughs> <sighs> well, let's talk about something fun. Okay. Let's talk about what's new in tanks today. Yeah, and today's uh, tank news came out on March 17th, military.com website. 
if anybody's ever interested in any military news or anything like that, I'll tell you, that's a pretty good place to go. Yeah, that military.com. Yeah. And this story was Matthew, uh, actually written uh, by uh, Matthew Cox, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's who wrote the article. It's titled, uh, NTC's new op for combat vehicles will look and perform like modern enemy battle wagons. What they're doing, going into some of these acronyms and what they stand for, the the NTC is actually the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California, and the Op 4 unit of the Training Center stands for the Opposing Force. Right. That's what Op 4 means. What they're coming up with is some new innovative ways to, to train some of the American soldiers. They're upgrading some of the vehicles they're using to train with that I guess are what's supposed to be the Opposing Force vehicles or the and see when to make I, them look like russian vehicles or that they're actually to make it more realistic i guess to train when you sent me this story and, and i read it like i said i read it through three times and sent it out to a bunch of guys what they are doing is it is very tough for the united states to get main battle tanks uh like the t90 and, and some of the chinese uh artillery or uh, tanks and stuff like that. And what they're doing is they're getting old Bradley turrets and slapping it on a, I guess, is it an M113? Yeah. Chassis? Yeah. And they're putting these Bradleys on and they're setting them up to be Soviet T90s and and, uh, Chinese uh, tanks. So when they're training out in the field, I mean, let's face it, to get actual T90s, and, you know, brought oh, into yeah, the United States, yeah. it's millions and yeah. millions of dollars. So they get these little M113 or uh, 113, yeah. and they put in Bradley turrets on them, and, and then they put this little amber light thing on, the little spinny thing, yeah. and they're playing target practice yeah. with it. Yeah. So yeah. you're so the bad. it makes it a little more realistic, but at a cheaper cost. Right. So you have, you know, the bad guy out there in these little vehicles that can shoot back and destroy your tank. You know, it's kind of like yeah. a laser tag game. Yeah. So when they hit these little thing, it, it little light lights up, little amber lights uh-huh. up and says, yep, I'm dead. Yeah. But I guess over the past year or so, they've been outfitting them with actually night vision devices, uh, thermals, um, something that truly makes them a near pure threat. The type of threat that we'd anticipate fighting in the future. Uh, that we really want to train against. So it's a training Right. You don't tool. need the main battle tank's yeah, gun yeah, on it because yeah. you're not going to use it. Yeah. So they have a bunch of these leftover Bradley turrets that they have, you know, tons of, and they put them on these M113, uh, and they're using lasers, but they're giving them everything that the enemy tanks would have, the thermals, the night vision, the uh, weather stuff. Yeah. They're loading them up and then they're sending them out there and they're like, Hey, you just got tagged and killed by this tank that's out there. Yeah. It's a really good training. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're talking about making both tracked vehicles for training purpose and also wheeled versions of the same. Mm -hmm. So, And, and we have their military doctrines on how the Russians say this is how a formation of tanks will set up and this is how it will move. Yeah. And we have the Chinese doctrines and books and handbooks. Of course, we didn't spy and get all that. 
I'm sure they just sent us their doctrine way, you know, they're just like, you know what, to be fair, here's our, here's our playbooks. Uh, so, so we have their playbooks and they train these opposing force in their playbook Yeah, and they send them out in the field. And then our guys train on how to do that. Now, the weird thing about the United States, and, and this is said by everybody, every country in the world, uh, America's tough to fight because they don't have a doctrine. We, we give our guys freedom. Our mm-hmm. tank commanders can do what they want out in the field. Yeah, yeah. Instead of saying, okay, we want five tanks right beside each other and we're going to do a V formation and this cannot be broken. Our guys are like, hey, listen, we're going to go over here and you're going over there and you're yeah. going to do this. We'll do this. I think the British found that out in their uh, American Revolutionary War, didn't they? They We really didn't have a doctrine on the way to fight. If Craig Craig Moore comes over here and punches us in the face. I know. I deserve it. You know, (laughs) I hate to say it. We have too many British fans. I know. We do. And and don't get us wrong. We love our UK people. We, We do. You know. I sure we had a couple of conflicts in the past, <laughs> but that's water underneath the bridge. Started with tea or something, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh man, you're going to get me in trouble. All right, I'll quit. You know, one of the funniest thing, I think it was Craig or Francis Pullman. And you know, I had my July 4th stuff on my Facebook and he sent me happy treason day. You <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, happy treason day. I don't take too well of our independence day. That's again of how history differs. Yeah. Yeah. Our history and their history. Sure. You know, different saying, hey, this is, you know, what was actually going on. And we're like, no, we were doing that. But anyway, that's the tank news for today. And we'll try to bring you. We got awful political today. Oh, I, we apologize. I know. We usually don't get off on rants and stuff. Um, you got a vent every once in a while, I guess. Do we have anything else to say about the M113 opposing force vehicle? I don't think so. Can we post a picture of that thing? Because yeah. it is the silliest looking thing. Oh, ever I know. It is crazy looking. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? If you haven't taken a look, I'll try to con uh, Russ into putting it online. But when you see the picture of this little oh, thing, know. you know, the, I mean, it, it even looks like an Eastern or Chinese yeah, design. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's a great training vehicle. <laughs> but um, And they've already got the parts. So yeah. Probably cheap to make. You know, people are like, you know, America has problems, you know, building vehicles. Number one, I don't want to get it started oh, with the Bradley. Yeah. The Bradley, although I love the Bradley. Yeah. It was not, it was a big waste of money. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, what's that other new airplane that we've got that keeps f- crashing and falling? It's worth billions of dollars. F-35 or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. The struggles. You know, and, and you look at like the French design, they, the new French uh, uh, aircraft that they have, it, it's a tremendous aircraft. And then ours is all wobbly and, and just <laughs> shakes. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I yeah. don't, I don't know. Hopefully they get it figured out before they put too much more. Now, do we have money. some messages to shout out? Yeah, we've received a few messages. Heard out of Tony Rouse in New uh, Zealand. New Zealand. For the first time from um, 
on Facebook here the other day. And you know, Tony has been such a great guy, oh, and, and a lot of you fans are. But never, never feel like be embarrassed or anything to send us oh, messages yeah. on Facebook yeah. or our YouTube comments. Get out yeah. there on www.twotankersandcat.com webpage and you contact us in many different ways. Yeah, because there's people and out there that don't us, like Facebook. Yeah, please send us a dang voicemail. I mean, right there on the front page of our website, there's there's a way that you can send us a voicemail even through your phone. Yeah. I mean, give us a shout out. We we had that uh, nice kid from, I think it was Germany or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. He sent us one. Yeah. That was very cool. Craig yeah. called us a couple of times. Yeah. Be sure. I mean, if you do that, we'll include you in the yeah. We'll definitely the next give podcast. you a shout out. Oh yeah. But uh, but we want to hear from everybody. That's that's yeah. cool. That's one of the neatest parts about all this. You know, uh, about Tony, I still say that all these police departments need help. We get Tony's wife uh, and bring her and uh, make her cop out uh, here. Uh, I bet she'd be a great cop. Uh, hey. She get that rolling pin out. That's <laughs> all she needs. Um, and there was another really cool guy, uh, Robert. I can't remember Robert's last name. What was it? Garud. We're killing your name. I know. Uh, it's a, yeah. Garod. Garud, Garod. We're, we're killing it. Um, he is a uh, sergeant. Staff with, sergeant. Yeah. A staff sergeant. Rob Garod. Rude. Garud. Man, we're, we've got to get better at this. <laughs> uh, and he was with the Royal Artillery in the UK, and yeah. he loved our A10 yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, well, Ju87. Yeah. And uh, mad shout out to him. Yeah. He he's just a really cool guy, yeah. and he told us you know what he did and stuff. Yeah. Sounds like he's had a pretty neat career in the military over there. He said he uh, works at the Armor Brigade in the. TACP and armored fighting vehicle, and is, I guess he's training younger soldiers. Yeah. So maybe some That's of his young neat. trainees are Heck listening. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, hey, we'll be looking for some people to interview here before long. So you know what? We should definitely grab. Oh, I know. Rob, sir, yeah. The staff sergeant. Yeah. I know and, we keep talking about that, but boy, I tell you what, it, it's, it's it's coming. Getting, it's getting closer. It's good, we're getting closer. ready to just test some things out here, and it's it's getting real close. So. I, I think what we're mostly worried about is just the person that we're interviewing's microphone. Yeah, yeah, and their equipment they're using. Yeah, so if just we just ask get, that they have a decent USB microphone that they'd use I, on a computer. I can a send desktop them my, computer. I can send them my gaming headset. <laughs> I got it at Walmart. When I say decent, probably twenty or thirty US dollars can. Get something pretty decent. I mean, yeah. So we're going to do some testing to see what some of the quality is on some of the different so microphones. And we need stuff. to send a message yeah. to uh, Staff Sergeant Rob Garrod or Grood. He's going to punch us. <laughs> He's going to be one of the guys, you know, waiting with Craig and oh, everybody else man. at the airport saying, yeah. there they are. And they're yeah. just going to beat the crap out of us. Here they come across the tarmac with a ball bat. Yep. No doubt. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'll still take the beating. Hey, we deserve it. I know. What else do we got? We got Patreon? Yeah, we want to do our Patreon shout outs. Um, mad, do, mad respect oh, to you guys. Man. You guys are now paying for or helping us uh, buy our new mics, our new software yep. uh, for the interviews, and, and so much other stuff. Uh, oh, man. Uh, it, it means a lot. I have no idea. Who are some of the people we got to thank? 
Yeah, shout out to Jake Azaki. He's been with us for quite some time now. Good guy, solid and dude. Kim and Eric Share. Yep. Man, appreciate it, guys. Yeah. I really do. Um, Riley VB, Razbaz, of course. Oh, yeah. Antonio Bernarda. Uh, Slam Jamington. Ah, Slam's still there. He's been with us for quite some time. Yep. Alejandro Martinez, still with us. Appreciate yep. it, man. And ODS Theron, and everybody's favorite, Rick Schmidt. Rick Schmidt. <laughs> we love that guy. Yep. Uh, but you guys have really helped us, and, yeah. and we're... And if you are listening and you want to support the show yeah. and help us pay for some oh, of this. Oh, it adds up. I, believe, I tell you right you know, now. People don't all realize how much the show costs yeah. with the internet, yeah. the yeah. software, yeah. the recording, the editing software. I and mean, we, we have it. We pay a host every month, podbean.com, to actually host it. And yeah. that kind of goes out from there. Um, yeah. It's insane. But, yeah. But I guess one of the biggest platforms that are that's actually taking off for podcasts right now is apple Podcasts. And yeah i think that's where a lot that of that is exploding yeah it really and is. we're getting a ton on spotify spotify too yep, yep. and uh, all my family on the side and my friends are listening on google now yeah oh, and yeah. I, i'm like what do you mean google podcast and they're like yeah it's google podcast but yeah, I, I, we're I, available I, everywhere i wanted to sh- give a shout out to our filipino listeners yeah we've got like 39 people yeah. now listening to the yeah. philippines how awesome and that's is that? just from this month and yeah. march so far and that's so that's cool australia yeah they're pretty big Night australia Kingdom, new zealand yeah. canada yeah. uh other uk oh man it's neat uh, germany uh i mean we had no idea when we started this that in singapore yeah you know thank you for the guys in singapore yeah um so, of course, South Africa. Oh, yeah. But Sweden, Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, of course, uh, Denmark, Norway, Estonia. I had to look up where Estonia yeah. was. I felt really dumb. <laughs> and, of course, we got Ireland, Thailand, Mexico, uh, France. We, I know. And we're it's, having a good host yeah. in South Korea. Yeah. So, uh, it's incredible. It's neat, but there's so many others, you know, yeah. the Czech Republic, uh, Panama, Pakistan, Romania, uh, even, uh, Russia. Yeah. You know, um, of course I'm sure. We're probably, probably blocked over there on most of their. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think, believe it or not, I still think since Vladimir Putin since, listens to the show. Since Putin makes fun of, or. Charlie here makes fun of Putin all the time. I, I never make fun of him. I I want to meet the dude. You know, I want I want him to give us a tank. Our listeners from Russia is probably the KGB wanting to. I'll sit down, dude. If they want me over there, I'll just send me a ticket. I'll go. I'll buy your ticket, Charlie. You let me know how that goes over there. Yeah, see, everybody. This is this is a person that I served with in the police department. We might actually get some more. Patrons fall on to help buy your ticket. You might have to take up a collection. Why, why do I feel that Tony <laughs> Rouse's wife is like, yes, Russell, send yeah. Charlie to, you know, Siberia. Uh, you know, he, he, here's an they, extra hundred bucks. Maybe they got some kangaroos in Siberia that you can meet. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you again. Tony's wife is going to punch uh, you in the I face know. because you I said know. kangaroos. It's not kangaroos, I, dude. I know. You're right. The most deadliest thing in New Zealand is what that spider. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that right. one spider. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, we're definitely going to have to retire to New Zealand. But we are going to get anyway. We are planning a trip to Australia. Oh yeah, and uh, we plan to uh, land in New New Zealand. And what was the place? Tananga or Tanga or T A N G O or something like Tawanga in New Zealand because I wanted to check out some stuff there, and then I want to go to uh, Sydney and check out that only German. Mm, uh, World yeah. War tank that survived. Yep, yep. Everybody goes, really? You're going to fly all the way to Australia, skip the beaches and everything uh, just to see that tank? I'm a tank uh, nut. Well. I'm a treadhead. <laughs> well, Russell, do we have anything else? I think that should do her. Well, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking and have a great week. <laughs>